if we learn to write the language as we are learning to speak it, then we have a much deeper understanding of the words, how they're used, what their meaning is. And so that writing component is, I think, a very, very important part of English language learning. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Andrew, do you remember the first time we met? (laughs) The very first time we met? (laughs) You probably don't remember. I probably don't. It was a long, long time ago. I'm assuming it was at Biola. Yes. Where you were working and you had contacted me to come and do a writing workshop. Yes. And so it was at that teaching, writing, structure and style workshop where we first met. And, you know, you do so many of these that I don't know that you necessarily remember me from that instance, but I kept bugging you, keep coming back year after year. Yes. Well, and you you filled the auditorium. We had some of the biggest <laughs> seminars we've ever done at yes, Biola. So. It was, that was my job interview <laughs> and landed me here. Seven years before the job. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm always fascinated to hear who attends those workshops. For the workshops that I hosted it was mostly homeschooling parents and a few college students who were interested in working in our program. It was a program, still is, a program for homeschoolers, teens, getting them ready for college. And of course, teaching writing, how can we do that? And you had the the method and taught it in such a winsome way that it was easy to implement. Well, through the years, we've heard from college professors, special ed teachers, English language learner professors saying, yeah, we want you to come and teach here. And most recently, you had the opportunity as a result of a teaching, writing, structure, and style seminar that you did locally here in the Tulsa area to go and teach a group of professors who teach English language learning to adults. And then you did a one-day workshop just for them. And so I thought it would be interesting for you to share some of the ideas that you presented to this group that may have been exactly the same or may have been slightly different. Well, one of the things about the Teaching, Writing, Instruction Style Seminar is that you can have a very wide range of parents, teachers, students, those teaching young children, those teaching older children, Mm -hmm. those coming just to improve their own writing, special ed teachers. We get a lot of those. Right. And of course, English language learning teachers, ELL Mm -hmm. teachers, Mm -hmm. and and sometimes ELL teachers who themselves are still learning English. It's true. So yes, the the great thing that I see about the system we teach is that it it is so broad in its application. Just the Mm -hmm. idea of make a keyword outline, tell it back, retell and write that, that is a form of modeling of language that works for everyone. Right. Whether it's your your high or low, intellect, aptitude, experience, language, it it works for everyone. Much the way in music there's a pathway. 
And just because you're maybe a very musical person or because you're older or younger or because you grew up in a musical family, doesn't matter. The pathway starts, and when you walk that pathway, which is primarily one of imitation, modeling mm-hmm. and imitation, modeling, imitation, modeling, imitation. Which we, we did a whole podcast on that. Yeah, then successful learning occurs. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to get successful learning of a skill like playing a musical instrument or a sport or a, or writing or, or painting or drawing. Very hard to get successful growth without that path. Right. So we know the path. We know it works. Some people can look at it critically and say, but what about this? What about that? What about mm-hmm. this? What about that? And so we have over the years developed a sort of apologetic for our system. Right. Much the way as a Suzuki violin teacher, I had to develop kind of an apologetic for Suzuki method mm-hmm. because people say, but what about, what about, what about? Mm-hmm. And in doing so, we come to understand what we're doing even better. So it's, it's a win-win for everybody. But I do think some of the most dramatic awakenings that I've seen have occurred with the ELL teachers. I first had my first involvement way back years before I met you, <laughs> and I, I had an opportunity to work with the Pasco Washington School District. Right. Says a very high percentage of uh, transient Hispanic agriculture worker families, mm-hmm. and the schools there have a tough job because a lot of these kids, their English is very rudimentary. There's no, no English spoken at home. And they come into grade three, grade four, grade five, and they have to try to, you know, learn the content of social studies and and science and things in English, as well as learn English at the same time. Right. And because they're students in the school district, they have to take the standardized tests by which the school district itself is judged mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. the state and the public and, right. and all that. So very difficult situation. And when I first started uh, working with that school district, and I went back year after year, Mm -hmm. I I think I trained every single elementary school teacher and went to every single school at least twice, Mm -hmm. some of them more than that. And what was so exciting for those teachers is that now we we know what to do. We We have something that's guaranteed to work. Right. We use the source text. It starts with good quality English, correct sentence structure, good vocabulary, not above their capacity to understand or acquire it, but something that's a good quality source text. Keyword outline, represent those ideas. That is infinitely superior of a way to learn the language than to say, here's a picture, write about it as best you can. Right. Here's a prompt write as best you can and Mm -hmm. do this day after day. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, what happens is the kids kind of flounder. I don't know what to say. I don't know the words to say what I would say if I could say it. I don't know how to spell the words. I don't know how to make sure that it sounds right because I don't even know it sounds right. So I can't really check it against anything. And then the teachers are, are equally in the situation. Well, how do I help them improve without doing it for them, which isn't teaching them anything. 
and what kind of final product are we looking for? And the big question, how do I get them ready for the state tests? Right. You know, the standardized tests in the spring, which Mm. is the big bugaboo hanging over so many public schools and and teachers. So we had tremendous results Mm -hmm. in PASCO. And any time that we're involved in a whole school district, we can take a look at scores mm-hmm. and we have some some studies some mm-hmm. more formal than others berwin illinois uh, we also work at the rockland school district mm-hmm. the pasco school district also had some statistics but they were very much disconnected with their state scores and their schools and seeing improvement and of course where we see the most significant improvement across the board is at the lowest level right right we see good students get a little better but the students who struggle mm-hmm. are the ones who jump whole categories from below proficient to proficient in large numbers. Right. As far as I know, I left Idaho and they kind of started being able to self-train in the district there in Pasco. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the curriculum person who was the big fan of it, she retired and probably someone new came in <laughs> with a new thing, mm-hmm. which always happens in schools. But for my you know, probably five or six years of consistently working with the school district, that was the most dramatic thing. Mm-hmm. The other thing I discovered pleasantly, and it was a surprise, when I was in Pasco, was to find teachers who understood the power of memorizing mm-hmm. language. And of course, I've talked about this for years and years, that you can't get something out of a brain that isn't in there to begin with. How do you build vocabulary? How do you build syntax? How do you expand the inherent grammar, the database of verb words and syntax that that make the language? And in the modern system, memorization and recitation are very much downplayed or even criticized in some circles. But I remember one experience in particular It was right when I was starting to formulate those ideas in the Nurturing Competent Communicators talk that that I feel is so vital. I was in this class. It was a a demonstration grade five class, and it was a a set, S-E-T, Spanish-English transition class. So they had some of their content was in Spanish, like the social studies and science types of things. And then some of it was in English, and they were really pushing the English. But overall, these were pretty low in mm-hmm. terms of their English fluency. And I was doing a keyword outline. I don't remember what it, subject it was. <laughs> but I said to the class, all right, now, I'm going to give you some homework to take, and I was going to explain what mm-hmm. the homework was, which is to take this outline home and find a brother or sister, a mom or a friend or a neighbor, and try to tell back the content from the keyword outline. Right. But when I said the word homework, immediately the whole group of grade five Hispanic kids started reciting in unison, homework, oh, homework, I hate you, you stink, I wish I could wash you right down the sink, oh, homework, oh, homework, you're giving me fits, if I had a bum, I would blow you to bits, right? And this whole thing, it's it's three stanzas long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they recited this entire poem in unison, and I was just in awe. <laughs> right. It's a poem by Jack Perlutsky, I believe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a cute one with the humor technique of hyperbole. But the vocabulary is, is you know, better than your average mm-hmm. 
conversation, better than your average TV show, better than your average whatever. And I thought, okay, somehow this teacher knew the value of doing this with these kids. Mm -hmm. So afterwards, I asked her, I said, I am just so curious, how did you know the value of memorizing poetry? And she said, well, I'm from Puerto Rico. My first language is Spanish. English is my second language. And when I came to the continental U.S. to study, I discovered that memorizing poems helped expand my vocabulary and ways to, to say things. Wow. I, I just thought, oh. Mm -hmm. it, it's another case where, you know, if every teacher had to experience learning what they're trying to teach, they'd be so much more understanding of the right. whole process. Right, and So she herself was an English language learner and thus able to coach her exactly. own students. Yep. Exactly. And I went back and... I think I went in to say, talk to that class again, or somehow I, mm -hmm. I said, I would love it if one of you, or all of you, would write that poem down for me, because it's a great poem, and I'd love to learn it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> next time I saw her, she had a whole stack. Every Aww. single kid in the room wanted to write down the Aww. entire poem and give it to me. Aww. <laughs> They love their writing teacher. <laughs> well, and that made me think of Mrs. Ingham mm -hmm. and how she would have this kind of loop where the children would hear poems, memorize them verbally, and then write them out. From memory. From memory. Mm -hmm. What a great thing to solidify all the skills that we're trying to, you know, do. What, mm -hmm. what are our core skills? Listening, mm -hmm. speaking reading, writing, mm -hmm. and then, of course, thinking about it. And I do believe that we would find universally benefits to restore the discipline of memorized language, but in the English language learner community in particular, I think the benefits would, would be evident quickly and they would so far outweigh the amount of time you would have to put into that. Right. Yeah, I love that. So this is talking specifically to English language teachers and how to teach their students. And I, I'm just imagining that these teachers could send home an MP3 of a poem that they're learning, and and whether they're adult learners or student learners, you know, children, they could bring it home and memorize it. And if English is not their first language, chances are those at home could benefit from that lesson as well. Oh, I would definitely think so. And we just happen to have our program, we Linguistic do. Development Through Poetry Memorization. Uh, yes, we do. Available as an be, MP3. You know, perfect for that <laughs> with very simple poems mm -hmm. that would have appeal to young children and very beautiful and sophisticated poems. But the homework poem isn't in there, is it? No, because Jack Prolecki is a modern author. Okay. <laughs> and our poems are all royalty-free. Royalty-free. Okay, out of great. copyright. Classic. Poem. Classic. Yes. Which means you don't really even have to buy our program. You just look up the poems and download them if you want to. Look up the poems and then read them into your record iPhone. Record them yourself. Yeah, record yeah. them yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's easy to, to get on that soapbox of... Mm -hmm memorizing language but when we want to get to the practical business of helping them write better mm -hmm. 
Yes, the keyword outlines and that discipline that is established in our unit two, where mm-hmm. you're taking the keyword outlines by choosing keywords from each sentence in a short source text. But of course, you can't stop there. You have to move on because the TOEFL exam is going to say, write an essay about blah, blah, blah. Right. And uh, I happen to know there are lots of students who pass the multiple choice section on the TOEFL, but really struggle with that essay portion. Yes. Same thing with the GED. Right. We worked a little bit with the prison population Mm -hmm. and studying how can we help them do better on that GED. And of course, a lot of it is all mixed up. You know, you've got second language, you've got learning issues, you've got environmental issues, you've got people who are, their language situation is is. Not very sophisticated. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, how do we help them attain that next goal, whatever it is? Mm -hmm. And that's where, again, we talked about this in the last episode, I believe, but the power of word lists. Mm -hmm. Because we carry around in our head a list of words. Right. Right. And if you're an English language learner, that list of words would be in a different language. It would be in a different language. And there would be some words in English, and you would have a connection between them. So you would think a thought, you know, say in your language, Mm -hmm. and then you would look for the words that are connected with that thought in your language in the language you're trying to learn. Right, which is probably a shorter list, I would think. I would think (laughs) a much shorter list. Now, you know, what happens when there's no connection? Well, then you've got resources, mm. right? You've got dictionaries, mm-hmm. which are the best friends mm-hmm. of, you know, a Spanish-English dictionary. In my case, when I lived in Japan, mm-hmm. I had that Japanese-English dictionary with me all the time. Mm-hmm. So I could think a thought in English, connect up the words that I could, look for the words that I didn't know in the dictionary, mm-hmm. and hopefully... They would be the appropriate ones. Right. Oops. <laughs> the problem of, of synonyms and nuances of words, of course, can get uh, all sorts of people in trouble. But particularly when you're learning a, a new language, you don't yes. know what are the possible nuances or meanings of that word. And if you're working entirely auditorily, they can be very, very similar yes. to you, but very different in meaning. Right. In Japanese, one example, which I found just hilarious, is the word shoujo, shoujo, and shoujo. Okay. Those are three different words. Right. Now, t- to an English ear, they sound very similar because in, in English, we use accents. Mm-hmm. But in Japanese, it's not accented, it's right. beats. Mm-hmm. Right. So shoujo is two beats. Shoujo is two beats on the first syllable and one on the second, and shoujo is two beats on the first and two on the second. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the difference in meaning is critical because one of them means young girl, another one means virgin, and another one means orangutan. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) And, and of course, that's just a humorous example from my own experience Mm -hmm, in in mm -hmm, Japanese. mm -hmm. People aren't likely to think that you mean orangutan when you're trying to say little girl, but nevertheless... You can see how, and we have those things all over the place sure. in English, probably even worse. Right, with two, our two, weird two. homonyms. There, there, um, there. So, you know, how do we how do we help? Well, again, it's modeling, and the writing allows for the student to make concrete through the visual reinforcement 
through the manual creation of that visual reinforcement, that word mm -hmm. as an entity, what it means, what it is. Mm -hmm. This is why if we just try to learn the language by speaking it in the so-called natural method that is mm. said, well, just learn like little children, mm -hmm. right? Well, unfortunately, that takes a long, long time and it's very frustrating. Mm. Whereas if we learn to write the language as we are learning to speak it, then we have a much deeper understanding of the words, how they're used, what their meaning is. And so that writing component is, I think, a very, very important part of English language learning. Right. I love that. I love that. I think that's really important. So I have a little story, and I would just like for you to speak to this because it's my own story. Actually, it's my husband's story. I know you know this, but my mother-in-law is Japanese. Mm -hmm. And if if I were to go visit her right now, I promise you she would be watching Japanese TV or reading a Japanese newspaper. Her English, after living in the United States for more than 50 years, is still pretty broken. Mm. And, of course, this is the environment that my husband was raised. Now, his dad is an American, mm -hmm. and so English is not my husband's first language. It is actually Japanese because he learned from his mother. But he has lost all his Japanese because his father wanted to be able to understand him. So only English in this house, right? And so his English is actually really good considering the fact that he had that environment. But it could have been better. There are certain things that my mother-in-law could have done perhaps to give him a language-rich environment. And I was just wondering what your suggestions are for the parents who perhaps are homeschooling or they have their children in school, but they themselves, English is not their first language. What can they do to help their children acquire English better? Well, then there's a flip side of that question too, mm -hmm. which is what can they do to raise bilingual children? Oh, right. I love that. Because honestly, I think having perfectly bilingual mm -hmm. children is one of the greatest gifts you can give anyone. Right. It Not only do you have a facility and a comfort in both of those languages, you actually have physically grown the brain significantly mm. because of learning two languages. Right. And so it's very rare to meet a perfectly bilingual person who is not also just very smart mm. in all areas. Mm. They, they have, a, you know, generally just more brain cells connected to other brain cells than the average guy like me. <laughs> so those two questions. The first one really is if you're living in the United States or if you're living in an English-speaking country and you are interacting with people who speak English, either in a school or in a church or community setting, it's going to be easier to learn English than if you're not. Right. Right. I mean, that's just a given. That's mm -hmm. the very first thing, environment. Environment. So how to, how to add to that would be, of course, uh, reading. You, you, the same way you would enrich any child's language, reading out loud to them in that language as much as possible. Now, maybe you have a mixed situation where mom speaks Spanish and dad speaks English, or mom speaks English, dad speaks German. You generally if at all possible, would like to have the parent who speaks the language as their native tongue to do the reading in that language with the children. Yes. As much as possible. 
And of course, memorizing. When the Nurturing Competent Communicators talk, I tell the story, I won't retell it now because I don't have time, about my memorizing Jack and the Beanstalk yep. in Japanese and as a huge breakthrough for me in that language. And so memorizing content in the languages that you want to learn is valuable and relevant, whether it is your first language or your second language. So that's good. Um, copying, you know, we, we've done some talk uh, in past podcasts on the value of just straight copying mm-hmm. the words. There's a internalization that happens when you copy something that is written in the language. It's kind of a, a slow motion reading in a way. You're attending to the spelling, putting in all the little words that are the hardest to use properly for second language learners, your articles and particles and yes. prepositions yes. and those things that are that are always a little bit awkward or confusing, particularly in English. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're copying that, and so you're starting to say, oh, that mm-hmm. goes with that because that starts with a vowel, and the other one goes with that because that one doesn't start with, you know, and you start to see mm-hmm. in action mm-hmm. some of those rules that you're trying to learn mm-hmm. out of the textbooks. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I tried this in Japanese, just copying Japanese text. And simple, second grade, third grade stuff. But I started to get a fluency and a comfortability with that. So the copy work, very effective. The memorization, very effective. And then the natural extension is imitation in writing. Right. And, of course, public speaking opportunity. Mm -hmm. One of the things about English language learners, or any language, is you're going to be a little bit hesitant to stand up in front of people and give a speech yep. in a language that isn't your first. Yep. So all the more reason then to create opportunities in the classroom or at home or the homeschool co-op to uh, have those children who are trying to master and perfect their English stand up and deliver, you know, either prepared or in some cases limited prep right. speeches. Right. To raise perfectly bilingual child- children you really need an environment that is designed for that. Mm. And I, I find very few people do this well because they tend to, like your husband's father, we will speak English in this house. Right. So the Japanese never really got to a high fluency mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. and consequently died off. Mm-hmm. So you almost have to intentionally say either you will always speak this language to this parent, and you always speak this language to this other parent, and no exceptions, and that's the way it's going to be. And I know a few families that have done that successfully. Mm -hmm. The kids are perfectly German-English bilingual, and they have never had a conversation with their father, not in German, except he's perfectly fluent in English, and he could do it. He's a dentist. Okay, right. He could do it. Mm -hmm. But he chose Mm -hmm. to teach those children German and have to be very strict and hard-nosed. And it's a good thing he was German because that makes it easier, perhaps, to be strict (laughs) and hard-nosed about it. Too often you get a case, and I know many families in this case, where mom speaks Spanish, dad speaks English. Mom speaks Spanish to the kids but doesn't require them to speak Spanish back. Exactly. So they learn and they understand, 
but they never develop that same level of fluency. Right. In that case, and especially, you know, if the kids are at home more than they're at at classes or school or something, you almost have to be strict about the hours Mm -hmm. and just say, you know, from, you know, three to seven o'clock every day, right? Or if you're homeschooling from nine to noon every single day, we will only speak this language to Mm -hmm. each other Mm -hmm. and just start that when the children are young and stick with it Mm -hmm. very strictly, very Mm -hmm. rigidly. Otherwise, what happens in most cases, the kids grow up, they understand the one language, but they can't speak it. And they're like, mom, why didn't you teach us it? Why didn't you make us learn this? Right, exactly. So it's tough to do. And then if you go to another country, then you reverse it, right? And so if you're in the environment of the other language, then you have to be very strict about maintaining English English hours at home. If you're in an English-speaking country, then you just be very strict about maintaining whatever language you're trying Mm -hmm. to, Vietnamese Mm -hmm. hours Mm -hmm. at home. Right. And then, of course, some people send their kids to school, Mm -hmm. you know, Chinese, Vietnamese. They'll go to school after school Mm -hmm. to learn their native language and and do it in a formal way Mm -hmm. that way as well. Mm -hmm. So a lot of options, and it's not easy, but it's certainly... I think a lot of things to think about, and our writing system, mm-hmm. fortunately, <laughs> it is so flexible, you could actually take the whole thing and translate it into Spanish mm-hmm. and teach Spanish composition mm-hmm. to English language students who are studying Spanish. Right. That's, right. The, and in fact, we, we have the Spanish translation. We do of teaching writing instruction style. Yes, and we'll include a link to that in our show notes so that you can just see a snippet, a portion of that. You can decide whether or not teaching writing instruction style that also has Spanish subtitles is the best thing for you and your family. Could be useful. Yep, yep. Well, thanks. This has been great. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudois and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on this educational journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.